0: Hello everyone and welcome to The Public Space. Today we have an early episode at 5pm. It's rare that we do it, but today we're doing it uh, because we are talking to Jonathan Roseland, who is a transhumanist. Uh, his links are in the description below. He has a YouTube channel called Limitle- Limitless Mindset, and he seems to be enthusiastic about uh, modifying humans and eventually, potentially, even replacing us. Uh, my book, The Revolutionary Phenotype, had been meant for people to be shocked at the possibility and to resist it, but he seems to be embracing it. And so we'll be talking to him. Jonathan, how are you doing today?
1: I'm, I'm doing good. I'm fired up on a little bit of a cognitive enhancer a little bit of nicotine so hopefully no, really
0: that, that
1: yes do you do you ever dabble with this stuff
0: i don't i don't uh, dabble i did uh, use patches patches of nicotine in my life uh, for a long time when i was trying to stop smoking but uh not not in the liquid form okay does it help well, your mind
1: oh yes yes well the the audience will have to judge. They should thumbs up the stream if they, if they, if they find it stimulating.
0: Now, uh, th- whenever I watch your videos, I notice that you have a an eye and a cap, and I was wondering, is that uh, wh- What is the source of this? Are you born like this, or is this something coming from an accident?
1: Y- yeah, I can answer that. First of all, I should clarify something. I'm on the fence about being a transhumanist. You know, you you wrote your book The Revolutionary Phenotype and I'm kind of like Cardinal Richelieu looking at what's happening in France before the French the French Revolution and trying to decide on which side of the coming revolution do I want to align ah. myself. So hopefully you can hopefully this conversation will clarify things a bit a bit on that and I also encourage everyone to super chat JF with questions about nootropics, biohacking, and smart drugs, because I've done over 100 smart drugs in the past eight years. I've devoted myself pretty much full-time to researching human performance enhancement, and I'd love to answer whatever questions people have if they're, if they're curious.
0: My God, uh, yeah. you've been trying a lot of those. You are like an encyclopedia of these uh, attempts at getting smarter with drugs.
1: I'm rather encyclopedia, encyclopedic in that domain. Wow. Okay, so about the eye yes, people will notice that I am quite cross eyed. I am mm-hmm. debatably uh, one of the more conspicuous cross eyed people on the internet. And that is not a side effect of the various cognitive enhancers and different things that I have experimented with. That was just the way that I was born. And I think what actually made it worse is just working with technology and spending a probably real disproportionate amount of my life staring at glowing rectangular screens. But I am. I'm not a person that hides. I'm not shy about my cross-eye. And uh, in fact, I wrote a book called How to Be Cross-Eyed, which will not instruct people how to be cross-eyed because I'm sure nobody would want that. But the book is about thriving despite having a physical imperfection.
0: Mm. Very interesting. Well, it's great that you live uh, well with it. Uh, Do you think it comes from the brainstem control of your eye muscles or is it physical dislocation of your eye?
1: (laughs) I believe it has to do with my ocular nerve. That's what a couple of optometrists and ophthalmologists have told me so i'm looking forward to when some stem cell technology advances because there's some some promising technology that uh that with stem cells would allow for that ocular nerve to actually reconnect with the receptor sites in the brain which is something i i have not gone really deep into that yet because the the science is not quite there for that option to be available to me, but it's a, it's an exciting possibility. So if that happens, then I, I guess I'll have to write another book. <laughs>
0: Very interesting. And I see that in your approach on your website and on your YouTube channel, you're very much into biohacking, into giving tips, everyday tips that people can actually use. And that was one of the comments about my book, which is, I I talk about the potential of a genetic replacement of humanity, but I don't give tips on the, the everyday basis. There's no way you can improve your life with my book. So what are the kind of tips you cover on your platforms?
1: Okay. So number one is uh, it's gotta be smart drugs and nootropics. And this is because there's all these different things that I'm sure you've heard of, I'm sure everybody's heard of for improving your life, improving your mind, things like doing exercise, doing meditation, cleaning up your diet, getting all those chemicals that are turning the frogs gay out of your environment, uh, optimizing your testosterone but almost all of these things, these are like paths to mastery, right? Like uh, the, uh, like game, which Rouge V talks about, you know, the art and practice of seduction is something that any man can improve himself with, but you need to devote, especially with something like game, you need to devote like two years of your life to it, or at least like six to 12 months of your life to it before you're not going to suck at it and start getting results and really start getting that upward momentum going on. And so these different paths to mastery, they take a lot of discipline and discipline is this exceptionally finite resource that we have. And we have all these different things like the, like our, our technology use and overuse and abuse and our addiction to all these apps that mitigates and has a negative effect on the amount of discipline and working memory that we have. And so I like to, I I recommend first of all that people kind of shortcut this discipline, muscle building exercise of these paths of mastery and that they just start taking smart drugs, which give you more discipline, which give you more focus. They give you more wakefulness. Uh, things like modafinil. Have you heard of modafinil? No. Nope. Okay. Modafinil is a military-grade smart drug. So it's a drug that was developed originally for narcolepsy, but it's a really potent cognitive enhancer. It'll it, it'll increase your scores on uh, brain training activities, on uh, like the dual in, dual back, for example, and they have done various trials where they would give it to like pilots of F teams the that's the the stealth fighter, that really cool looking black airplane. And they found that it would give them like heightened ability to fly these missions. And they would also give it to helicopter pilots because helicopter pilots they have to control if you've ever have you played a video game where you flew a helicopter. Uh no. Okay, so when, when you when you fly a helicopter you have to control the helicopter all the time because of the uh, multiple because of the multiple drivers of the momentum of the aircraft. So helicopter pilots, especially combat helicopter pilots, they have to be focused and they have to be like really conscious of their whole environment for like 10 or fifteen hours over the course of a mission where they're going to be, in danger. And so uh, the U.S. Air Force and uh, the French Air Force, various militaries around the world give uh, modafinil in particular to soldiers that are operating these multi-million dollar uh, pieces of equipment. But uh, modafinil is just a good example of this. There's about there's about 300 drugs and supplements that fall into this category of cognitive enhancers. And I've I've tried about a hundred of them and there's different use cases for them. I don't recommend a single one to everyone.
0: Wow, Jewel Citizen says, this guy is the non-grug Joe Rogan 2.0. And Mark Dion is asking a question on the Super Chat. He says, aren't you afraid of psychosis? Do you know if any of these drugs can uh, favor psychosis?
1: When I try something, I look into the PubMed studies pretty deeply. And if I see something like that reported in the clinical trials, That makes me skeptical. And then I also go through all these different forums on the internet, uh, Reddit, longevity, et cetera. And I look at people's anecdotal uh, things that they are reporting. And if there's a statistically significant number of people saying that it produces a negative effect, then I stay away from it. Then I urge people not to use it in my writing. But like I said, I've been using these for like eight years now, and I've, I really can't say that I've experienced anything negative. One, one time I hallucinated a bit when I was in my uh, co-working space in Medellin, but that's, that's pretty much it. I haven't experienced any psychosis as a result, and I've been using them quite frequently for quite a long time. So that makes me think that it's pretty safe.
0: Very interesting. Now let's get down to the book, The Revolutionary Phenotype. You've read it, and in fact, there's a link to the review you made on your uh, YouTube channel in the description below. Uh, I encourage people to subscribe to your YouTube channel, Limitless Mindset. Uh, and your review is kind of enthusiast about the helplessness of it. So what do I say in my book? I say, essentially, there's a new mechanism in biology. We hadn't seen it before. Now we understand what it is. It's a phenotypic revolution. And a phenotypic revolution is an event by which a part of your body or a part of your environment takes over your genes, becomes the new genes, and in fact starts farming versions of your genes that are lesser, that are not evolutionary, evolutionarily driven toward an evolution for themselves, but are rather put to the service of this new entity. And I say the last time a phenotypic revolution happened was 4 billion years ago, when DNA-based beings came alive. And to come alive, they had to revolt against a previous life form, the RNA life form. They had to take it over. And what I say is, we are headed toward a new phenotypic revolution, we are headed toward replacing our DNA genes with something else, with programmatic uh, activities within computer networks that will be determining how we can improve humans. Uh, genetically, and we will be so enthusiastic about going for that technology that we will be replacing ourselves slowly or quickly, depending on how much uh, we derive from these operations. This as important changes to the structure of evolution in human societies because right now we are evolving as individuals who are carrying their own genes and therefore we're evolving to be uh, somewhat intelligent, to be capable of decision making ourselves. But once the centralized computer is making the decisions, the genetic decisions for us, a lot of things disappear from our society. Sexual selection probably disappears, replaced by just the possibility of choosing your genes from the computer algorithm. Uh, we have all sorts of uh, e- egotistical emotions that are meant for self-preservation. All of them could disappear, could be replaced by a central entity, and ultimately we become lesser beings through that phenotypic revolution. So, uh, what were your thoughts about the book? How did you experience your reading of it?
1: Well, I, I'm a big fan of the, you know, of of, the, of passing on our genes in the the way that the queens, the way that the queens originally structured for us. They uh they have sexual reproduction. In fact, that's what I intend to engage in with my wife after this live stream concludes. <laughs> <laughs> and the so, the phenotypic revolution. If I'm correct, you see this as pretty much inevitable.
0: Uh, close to inevitable and very bad. But I said there is a hope if we coordinate ourselves. If everyone decides on planet Earth we're not going to do that, we might be able to stop it.
1: Uh, how how is it going with convincing everyone to stop it? <laughs>
0: Well, you essentially need to convince people that we need to endure leukemia-having children, and we need to endure uh, all sorts of diseases that we know we will be able to fix, and we're going to need to be able to say we don't want to fix it. We want to preserve ourselves, we're fine with being sick, sometimes it's part of life. Uh, I will say... It's not as bad as you could think it is because there was, for example, the Chinese scientist who did a modifications of two daughters, uh, to, to give them protection from HIV. And the backlash on the internet was pretty harsh against him. And so I would say there is a background of support for being careful with these technologies in the population. Uh, then then it's a matter of explaining the revolutionary phenotype to people explaining what it, what it would be like in the future if we are a society in which humans are the sterile workers of a queen and that's not looking good at all it is uh, we will be enslaved in the same way the rna molecules were enslaved and that that is uh, completely changing the human form
1: could you estimate at all what is the ETA for this enslavement? Are you thinking like next hundred years, next five hundred years, next thousand years, next ten thousand years?
0: Yeah, so uh, we we have put our feet into the replicator tango, which is the first step. So we've started modifying two humans in China, and in fact, it seems that Harvard is added to do it again on sperm cells, which will enter the reproductive line. So from this point. It's all a matter of how much diseases can we solve and how much evolutionary fitness are we providing to the people that benefit from it. And I say, suppose that you would have just a slight increase in IQ, a slight increase in success and economic capabilities, a small decrease in a handful of diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson. I think we would already be there so that within 500 years to a few thousand years, everyone on Earth would eventually be using that technology, whether they are sick or not. They, they would use it preventively on every baby on Earth. Now, that's just the point at which you fix a lot of diseases on planet Earth. Uh, at that point, there are there, there needs to be competition between different recipes that develop. So you would have a corporation that offers modifying one hundred genes, another corporation offers you maybe a thousand genes, and maybe the one thousand genes is not as good, or maybe it's better than doing it on on a hundred genes. No matter what happens, at, at the moment there is competition between different recipes for human genomes that becomes a point at which we are losing our reproductive capabilities because everyone on Earth will be using this method, and therefore we're starting to lose penises, ovaries. That's within the first 10,000 years. Uh, And then we're talking about maybe... Anywhere from 10,000 years to a million years before we start seeing heavy modification of the human emotional systems, turning us really into slaves that we would we would see them and we would say, that's not a human, that's a slave of a robot. <laughs> and what form it takes, really, it can take many forms, but it will be a, a creature so submissive that no one would dare call this a human. And that's within 10,000 to a million years. Uh, the last time the phenotypic revolution occurred, it was probably over multiple millions of years. But something tells me that with the human technology we'll be using, we'll be optimizing everything, and everything will go faster than last time.
1: Yeah, I, I would imagine. So this enslavement, this this moment that evokes images out of the matrix movies where humanity is just totally is just totally subjugated by technology that's a really long ways off and that that time scale makes me think that it might be worth it
0: so to you replacing yourself matters less if you do it far distant into the future
1: okay well i'll talk a little bit about this uh, rather disturbing uh, video clip that i saw on twitter so uh, for for some reason i i must be following the wrong people on twitter but i've caught some of these video clips of necklacing mobs in south africa which is where They've got like a a mob of people and there's a couple of uh, black guys that have, I don't know, committed some crime or they are hated for whatever reason. And they necklace these guys. They put them in tires and then they tie them up and douse them with a bunch of gasoline and beat them. And then they light them on fire. And these guys are, you know, uh, just writhing in the pain of the damned. And they try to get away from the fire. They try to squirm out of their tires, but then the mob beats them up and ties them back down to suffer their, their fate. And I, I actually saw one of these videos shortly after I heard you describing the revolutionary phenotype uh, a while back. And my, my thought was, I, I'm kind of black-pilled like you i see western civilization really on the precipice of the world going into another dark age and so i imagine in the future our descendants are are going to kind of have this this shitty existence that they're living through on this irradiated rather anarchic planet and uh-huh. given Consider g- given the the option on one hand of uh, this really uh, it seems devolving state of our species, you know, like uh, Edward Dutton. I've uh, been watching some of his material after I saw him on the public space. Given that sort of devolving direction that doesn't seem to show any chance of improving, and given the pipe dream of the uh, of these fairly grandiose uh ideas and promises that transhumanists are making of this uh elevated enlightened utopian kind of society that we could have as a result of genetic modification i'm thinking you know uh humanity we've been bashing each other over the heads and uh, raping and living a fairly uh barbaric, violent existence for about a hundred thousand years. So my thought is that if the revolution if the if this particular revolution and the gene editing can turn us into a species that can maybe make it to the stars or at, at least colonize our own solar system. And become kind of that that Star Trek sort of civilization. I would say that that uh, I would say that that positive trajectory is worth this eventual kind of serene uh, pussification of the species that'll happen in uh, maybe a hundred thousand years, maybe. Fifty thousand years. That that's you know uh, philosophers. I I think philosophers usually say that the that the that the the best option is always what mitigates human suffering, and that the most suffering for the most humans is always the worst thing, and the least suffering for the least humans is always the best thing. So if we could. If we could get like a solid uh, 50,000 years of minimized, minimal human suffering and humans doing like some pretty awesome things while this uh, revolutionary phenotype creeps through our genes, that, that doesn't seem that bad to me.
0: Well, uh, I, I totally deny the, the the philosophy based on well-being and maximizing well-being and diminishing suffering. I think it's abs- it's a misunderstanding of what these feelings have evolved for. They have evolved to keep us alive. And if we are questioning our own existence in the process of wanting to make ourselves so happy that we forget to maintain our own existence, uh, I think it's an anti-existential decision, and it goes against the, f- the very reason why we have feelings in the first place. These feelings are there because some of our ancestors made more babies by having these feelings. Let's not get it uh, reverse here and eliminate ourselves in the name of the Potential maximization of well being. On the question of reaching the star, I will say also there's no evidence that a life form passing through the revolutionary phenotype will be any better in terms of uh, getting to technological developments. If anything, we have evidence for the DNA based life form that we, we were capable of thinking about the stars and exploring the stars uh, with our probes, with our manned missions. There's no evidence that there revolutionary phenotype will be capable of doing this or will be in a better position to do this. All we have is really the replacement of a genetic system of inheritance that has survived on Earth for 4 billion years, and its replacement merely because this DNA-based life form has led to the production of stuff like our drives around us that happen to be better encoders of information in the long term, in the sense that they will mutate less and they will maintain the information more. Uh, but that you have to, if you want to resist to the revolutionary phenotype, you have to have a sense of yourself, and you have to have a sense that. Okay, I'm a DNA-based being, this is what I am, and I want to maintain that state honored. Uh however, I would say it's fallacious to believe that getting forward in this in this race forward for new and new genomes and new media for new uh new replicators will bring you anywhere closer to the star.
1: hmm I I've got a little bit I think I may have arrived at a bit of a, a solution. <laughs> a a bit of a solution to this that involves uh off-worlding that I'll run past you and you can tell me what what you thought of it. So I I've grown increasingly skeptical of transhumanism when when I, I first got into it, maybe maybe about seven or eight years ago. And at that time, the transhumanists were like they were mostly just interested in longevity. They were interested in most of the same kind of stuff that i'm into which is you know figuring out ways that we can do uh, therapies on our mitochondria ways that we can prevent chronic diseases that that kill people off so that we can live longer and live better and i've over time i grew really skeptical of it because of this uh because of this this statist impulse that seems to really be starting to drive the movement and uh, it looks like a lot of the transhumanists now are uh, like for example a quote a quote a passage from a guy who wrote something that i thought was really revealing of kind of a psychopathic transhuman impulse this was a guy named uh serge who wrote a a big article on it and he said I want to live in a post-human future that is dominated by the values I align with, knowledge, science, technology, freedom, progress, power, abundance, pure meritocracy, optimism, and where tribalism, religion, tradition, nation states, irrational emotions, conservatism, socialism, and humanism, along with our current biology itself, are all relegated to the museum and crumble to Dust, and as I've been looking at this trend towards kind of an authoritarian statism with transhumanism, uh, you know, like how Zoltan Ishvan in his in his science fiction book about the singularity, he was talking about how the transhumanists decide to really impose their transhumanism on on the rest of the world. They're 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 not really uh, content to stay on their own and do their thing on their own. They feel like they need to drag the whole rest of humanity with them. And as I started looking at that trend, I started to think that these transhumanists should do something really radically brave, which is that they should go and take their ideology and their ethos of this radical, biological, technological progressivism, and they should go to Mars. I I think that that's the I think that's the best solution for having some coexistence with the transhumanist ideology, because I I don't think it's a fad. I think it's something that's going to that's going to be here for a long time. But I think if we could start to plant the seed in the minds of the transhumanists, and in these uh, extremely wealthy venture capitalists that are intertwined with their mission of saying, you know, look, this is such a radical experiment, and it might turn out, it, it might actually turn out good, but it might also turn out to just be a terrible genocidal type event that they call death. Why don't you guys go and do something really ambitious and take your civilization and go build it in? relative isolation on Mars. And then we can have a little bit of volunteerism that might be akin to when Europeans were in Europe and they wanted to escape the, the tyranny of the situation in Europe and so they took a very brave long journey across a rough sea to go and start a new world with kind of a new ethos on a new continent, and I think that might be an option for uh, coexistence.
0: Uh, I think it's not a bad idea. However, I have an issue where Every, every struggle and every competitive aspects of existence is a struggle for existence. In other words, you, you could, you could limit it in some place of the universe. You suggest Mars. It could be a specific country on Earth. The problem is this population is going to grow. And for, for a genetically separate nuclei of humanity to have been so improved that they are potentially more dangerous and more apt to dominate others, they will just see the rest of planet Earth, no matter what what area we didn't give them, and at some point they will say, look, this is a waste of space. Look at these wasteful human beings living only at uh, one human being per kilometer square. We can live at uh, 10,000 human beings per kilometer square. Let's overtake their countries, or let's overtake their planet, if they are from a different planet. That's why I'm uh, I'm hesitant at even giving a space to this while it's still in the Hague, while we can kill this project right now and we can say we're not gonna do that. We're, we're, we're gonna save ourselves the problem of the, the upcoming conflicts for millions of years of people who do benefit from this technology wanting to eradicate those who don't. And I'm not so, uh, so scared about literal state imposition of this, although it may come and it would be terrible, but I'm much more scared about social repression, forcing people to adopt the flow. And at some point, I can imagine during these tens of thousands of years, I can imagine fathers just teaching their children not to engage into this genetic modification, but their children choosing otherwise and slowly being, uh, being intertwined into the replicator tango by their own decision and their own openness, which will lead us to destruction.
1: Yeah, it's, boy, it's hard to convince people to exercise long-term thinking. In regards to their well-being and their well-being of their descendants, it's 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 really it's 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 really tough. Uh, you know, like 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 you you're there uh, sipping on uh, Pepsi, and you're like, "Fuck you guys! I like Pepsi. I want to drink. I want to drink my. I want to drink my Pepsi. Diet I'm gonna Pepsi. Enjoy my diet Pepsi. All right, even worse. Great. So so people, it's really hard to convince people to. Uh, suffer a little bit of uh, convenience and discomfort in and and advantage in the present for for uh, long term advantage, and especially when you're telling people. That their descendants in 10,000 years are going to be enslaved or their descendants in uh, 5,000 years are maybe not going to be that interested in chasing skirts because they have these uh, Artificial intelligence algorithms that are directing their uh, sexual reproduction sexual activities for them people are going to have People's empathy is only going to travel so far into the future, and I know for myself, when I have children, I uh, I don't have them yet, but like I said, I'm going to work on them. I'm going to work on them as soon as I get off the call. Um, I I will definitely have a, a ton of empathy for my children, and then my grandchildren, and then you know maybe my great grandchildren. Hopefully, I will see them. You can see I'm doing all these. All these great biohacking supplements over here. So maybe I'll make it long enough to see my great-grandchildren or even my great-great-great-grandchildren. But the the descendants of mine that are gonna be there in uh, a, in a thousand years, in two thousand years, I'm just not sure if my empathy is reaching out quite that far. And people, people also, you know, this is a uh, we're kind of in the alt right sphere of the internet here, and so a lot of the people watching this, if if you're a uh, European derived white person, you also have to ask yourself if your genes are even going to exist in the world in another 500 years or in another thousand years, and if there's if there's a chance that they that they might then. I find it difficult to extend that, that empathy out so far when I could see that in the next 100 years of my life, something like genetic engineering might make, it, it might uh, vanquish some of these diseases, which really do cause a lot of suffering. Uh, we could use something like genetic engineering to go in there and get that, that uh, MAOA warrior gene that seems to cause some criminality in society. And we could make society a bit more of a tranquil, responsible, uh, respectable, even maybe a little bit more civilized place for the next 500 years, the next 1,000 years, maybe the next 10,000 years, like you said. And you you did say it might be 100,000 years, it might be 500,000 years before we are really in in this enslavement point so i I just i'm not sure that that many people are going to be convinced by the by the uh millennia and millennia out argument for uh ignoring a immediately advantageous technology
0: oh sorry, I was muted uh see, what what you just suggested there is already an enslavement in some form because okay, you have this genes that has been correlated loosely. With some criminal behaviors. But of course, this gene is not going to impact only criminal behavior. It's probably there for a reason in the first place. It's probably self-defense, and it probably makes people generally more willing to resist to, to aggressions that is performed against them. So remove it from humanity, and you've disbalanced the evolution forward of humanity, and you may have disarmed essentially people who could benefit evolutionarily from this gene because it it had another function that we didn't necessarily know about? So uh, right now, you just just with this suggestion, you would be already stepping into. A psychological enslavement of humanity, you would make them more docile to law enforcement, essentially. A transcendental Titans says, Jeff, the path to self-improvement is metaphysical, not physical. Check out tra- transcendentaltitans.net. Would love to come on and talk history sometimes. All right, I'll check out your website. I didn't know about cool. it. <clears throat> El Barto says, Jeff, please comment on the new Nature article that proposes a moratorium on irritable genome editing. Well, I quickly covered it yesterday. Uh, Here's the article. uh, Adopt a moratorium on irritable genome editing. And they say we call for a global moratorium on all clinical uses of human germline editing, that is, changing heritable DNA to make genetically modified children. By global moratorium, we do not mean a permanent ban, rather, we call for the establishment of an international framework in which nations, while retaining the right to make their own decisions, voluntarily commit to not approve any use of clinical germline editing unless certain conditions are met. So be careful with this moratorium. It's not a serious moratorium. It's done by scientists who essentially are already convinced that there's going to be a place for legitimate germline editing. I say we must resist and we must call out these scientists and their fake moratorium, which is really just a temporary ban to convince you that they've done the thinking. But they haven't done the thinking as long as they've not answered my book, as long as they've not, they've not explained. Are you sure that you won't be causing a phenotypic revolution with your craziness? So, no, I call out these authors as as uh, declaring a fake moratorium. Now, what do you think about this idea of a, at least a temporary ban?
1: It, it would seem that if you want that to really go into effect, you need to convince the people with the nukes that gene editing is a really bad idea. I, I, I think... It's going to require the full muscularity that the state can bring to bear to prevent gene editing, because we in in the United States, I, I could see something, I could see something like that happening, but there's always going to be some country in the world that is going to want to put the pedal to the floor on it so that they can have an advantage within their population.
0: Absolutely. I agree. It's going to take some nuclear uh, deterrent. I'm not necessarily meaning that we will have to use it, but we will certainly have to threaten it. Tom Smith says, Jonathan, what's your IQ?
1: Oh, I'm actually <laughs> thankful that you asked that. I got it tested on an IQ test a while back, and then I got a uh, Raven's Matricy done. And I am perfectly average. I scored 100 on one and 102 on another so i'm i'm quite average it's it, if i wow. seem high iq i'm i'm not jewish or anything I, I just do a lot of smart drugs and it I'm i'm not sure it it adds a bit of enhancement i so people do ask me sometimes about that
0: have you tried doing the test under the drugs
1: and an IQ test while on smart drugs no yeah, i no. have not that's that's a good idea
0: i'll try that i'd be curious back. El Bartó says, Sweden made it legal for single women to be inseminated using sperm donations. Now there's a growth of intentional single mothers cutting out the dad. That's one aspect we haven't covered, but this whole replacement by technology, it's also uh, a violation of children's right to have normal families. Uh, you, You may be able technologically to make a baby with just a single female and just replace the sperm with some catalogued type uh genome or, or some donation from an anonymous donor but we, we are depriving the next generation to have a normal life with two parents
1: mm, it seems like that's happening anyways because of the the social forces the feminism the statism the degeneracy that is that's that's hurting the family i would think that something like genetic engineering would it would either make such a small it would would probably make such a small blip in the family formation and it might it might lead to the it might lead to families being more tranquil because of mitigation of of uh of violent tendencies it would lead to uh it would lead to grandparents being able to live longer and participate in children's lives and so i i would seem like there'd be Mostly just upside for families because of genetic modification.
0: Well, personally, I don't see only upsides. I see the potential for tripartite parenthood. And what what does tripartite divorce look like when you have three parents fighting for the children? And as far as the that grandparents living the lawyers. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, that, it's an upside for the liars for <laughs> sure. Uh, Mark Dion says, "What's better, suffer in reality?" Are happy drugged?
1: Mm, that, that's a that's question a everybody one. has to ask for themselves. You have to answer that for yourself.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. It's a, it's a matter of personal preference. First, I will point out that the question. Mean uh, seems to be implying that you are necessarily beside reality if you are drugged, whereas it's not necessarily the case. Some drugs do create hallucinations and do uh, make you beside the track of reality. However, some drugs may just change the way you experience reality and you may still very well be connected to reality. On the other hand, if we were to really have a choice to make between reality and happily drugged, I guess it would depend on how much you value the truth and your connection to the world, and this may differ. Personally, I value extremely highly uh, my connection to the world because I'm a scientist, I really want to know the truth even if it hurts. However, maybe if I I was uh, 60 years old and on my deathbed, I wouldn't really care if I'm divagating or if I'm hallucinating, I might prefer that to suffering. All right Jonathan, uh was there anything else that we haven't covered about the revolutionary phenotype that you wanted to talk about tonight?
1: Oh, I so I wanted to address that super chatter. I think he might have been asking me a bit of a question about drugs because I I like drugs and I have drugs right here as you can see.
0: Yeah, so, well, I, I th- uh the crowd cannot see it, but if you can bring some of your bottles to your to the place where your neck is approximately
1: oh okay okay all right yeah yeah sure okay so uh this do you want me to show do you want me to do a yeah, little yeah, yeah. Show let's
0: have a look at them tau what is that
1: okay so this is an example of a nootropic stack the same as as these are and so these are cocktails of okay. different cognitive enhancers usually they are usually they're comprised of Nutraceuticals that have uh, effects on the acetylcholine system that can enhance uh, your long-term memory. They can enhance working memory. Uh, they can enhance stress response. And then I'll also show you. This is uh, called yohimbine, and it is uh, an extract from an African tree, and it is a it is a, a stress hormone releaser that makes you really really energetic so it'll kind of like bring out the the African warlord in you at least that's what it does for me.
0: So I use back that in the days when I was a neuroscientist we had this in the fridge I remember we were using this to block some neurons in the fish brain. Did did you ever try it yourself? No never
1: okay and then I'll also mention one of my favorite things is nicotine. And mm. so this is uh, nicotine in like a 5% solution because if you just consume nicotine itself in larger quantities, it's kind of poisonous. But in a, in a very diluted quantity, it stimulates your working memory. And I also find that it makes me a bit more creative. I think that's why Anne Ryan, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, all of these guys were smoking a ton when they were Doing their writing, I I looked into the research quite a bit on nicotine, and it led me to the conclusion that nicotine itself is probably not carcinogenic. It's it's really all of those other uh, chemicals in cigarettes that are being that are being burnt, that are being changed radically, that people are consuming, that are giving them cancer. So those are uh, those those are some of my favorites. I I do cycle off of these. I'm not I haven't been doing these every single day for the last 8 years. I have different cycling strategies that I employ because I I do have some concern of like how how much are these things changing me permanently? And if I go off of these things, am I going to be like the guy in the movie Limitless when he goes off of his NZT-48 <laughs> and he ends up getting really stupid? And in in my experience I I haven't ascertained a real downside when I go off of them. I'm, I'm a bit less stimulated when I go off of them. Maybe my mood is just slightly deflated, but overall, I would say that it is a, it's an increase from baseline. And I actually did a little bit of a crowdsourced resource on this. I put up a survey on my facebook page and in a couple of different biohacker forums and i was asking people okay so when you when you use uh nootropics smart drugs and you go you go on them and you're on them for a while and then you go off of them would you say that when you go off of them are you are you do you just return to your baseline of normal you or do you feel like you're a little bit more enhanced a little bit more sharper than you are normally or do you feel like you're actually dumber than you are? Uh, i
0: would have the and impression that you become dumber
1: the survey respondents were telling me that the the majority said that they returned to baseline because uh biohackers what what we recommend is we recommend if you're going to use these things that are going to enhance your neurotransmitters then you need to be really disciplined with your diet and you need to take all of your other all of your other supplements that are going to support your neurotransmitters because you're consuming a bit more neurotransmitters and my, my own experience has been that my baseline has been heightened a bit over time i i was a person that really suffered with tough ADHD as a child and then as a young adult and i really feel like i've i've cured and gotten over my adhd as a result of using nootropics and doing brain training and meditation and different things like that and uh, in a survey that i conducted the the majority of uh, the uh, there was a tiny minority of the respondents that said that they felt like they were dumber that it felt like their baseline had decreased and they felt like ooh i need to go back on the nootropics to get my mojo back uh, the majority, the majority were saying that they were baseline, and then a a significant group of them were saying that they actually felt like they were enhanced in the long term. So, yeah, based upon my own eight years and based upon my conversations with a ton of biohackers, I I really only see upside in them, which is why I'm the internet's smart drug dealer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about the legality of all this? Uh, are these substances uh, illegal or legal to acquire in the U.S.?
1: So the U.S. is kind of like a wild, wild west of supplements. You can, uh, it's it's y- you have to be taking something pretty radical to run into legality issues. Uh, so i've I've never had I've never had any issue. I always check before i order something and i've i've lived around the world in a couple of different places and i've i've never had problems with with importing in fact uh here in eastern europe where i live i'm actually kind of shocked at all the things that they deliver to me and the import office those those ladies there uh they never they never ask me why i'm why i'm going there so frequently to pick up packages full of interesting molecules
0: <laughs> that is pretty amazing uh yeah so th- there are certain should, things that i you I'm- should you should try it man well, I, I wouldn't try that much. I mean, I, I'm open to nicotine, okay, because it's been tried a lot, but you and Bine, you are uh, worrying me when you tell me that you're using that recreationally. I mean, this this gets into your neurons and it, it, it uh, eradicates the functioning of certain receptors. Uh, that's not something I would have tried.
1: Yohimbine, I haven't used it recreationally. I just use it before I go to the gym so that I can get a bit more power output. And honestly, I haven't gone as, Yohimbine is very far from the top of my list of things that I would recommend to people. So I'm, uh, yeah, that's on the periphery of my nootropics that I, that I am using really regularly.
0: All right. Well, Jonathan, it was a pleasure talking to you. Was there anything else that you wanted to cover before we conclude?
1: Yeah. D- do you have any interest in talking about tantric sex, which is a uh, a, ch- a couple of chapters that I have in my book?
0: Tantric sex? Yeah. What is it? Tantric yeah. sex is an ancient Hindu practice that has been going on for 5,000 years, and means the weaving and expansion of energy. It's a slow form of sex that's said to increase intimacy and create a mind-body connection that can lead to powerful orgasm.
1: Yeah, this, this sounds like something that, that <laughs> could be a part of uh, JF and Mama JF's
0: time don't worry. So here's Mama JF. She seems to be enjoying and the possibility. <laughs> <laughs> she seems to be enjoying the possibility. I mean these things are I, I I I don't care about these things. I don't know. I cannot get myself to care about them because they are so turned over the subjective experience. It's like P- these people are obsessed with their own feelings, and I'm I'm so far away from them in that I'm not obsessed with my own feelings. I'm mostly fascinated about the universe, and so exploring slow sexuality to have tingles that lead to greater orgasm—it's not even something I would do, to be honest.
1: Well, you're you're a guy with a a real curious mind. Uh, wouldn't wouldn't you try anything that has? that has no real downside to it and might might be interesting?
0: Well, uh, th- that was my mindset. If you had caught me 15 years ago when I was a young uh, 20-year-old uh, young man wanting to experience everything, and that's, wh- that's the kind of mindset that leads you to try drugs, and I did try drugs. Uh, t- today, I have completely understood that This quest for experience is a misguided desire, that there's nothing very fascinating about the human mind, and that the more you stay within your mind and the more that you become obsessed with your own mind, the more you divorce from the world, which is the real Uh, amazing thing. The world is complex. The human brain is complex when you look at it from the outside. But these feelings, I do not care. They are products of the mind, and they are uh, very often uh, not linked to reality, or they are misrepresentations of reality. So I'm really an anti-feeling, a kind of uh, a sociopath scientist.
1: Well, so you are... A real fascinating guy because I, I've I've watched uh, you are on the on the fairly far end of the IQ spectrum. What, what's your IQ again?
0: Well, I tested my IQ live when I was a host of Warski Live. It was my first test. I got 129. I think it's pretty roughly where I'm at, but perhaps I have more if I had done the test in good conditions
1: yeah it's it's probably been in, it's probably been enhanced a bit with this real constant intellectual work that you're doing every every day on the public space Perhaps. and with, and uh as as you're aware IQ is something that correlates to success and it co- and it also correlates to like general like mental health and uh it correlates to family formation it correlates to all of these things that are generally generally good and that we generally desire but because you're on the higher end of the spectrum because you're not you're not average you are you are discounting a bit the importance of personal development and the importance of using these different life hacks, things like tantric sex, to enhance your life. And somebody like me that's a bit more on the average end of the IQ spectrum, if I were not employing all the different little tricks and life hacks and and weird things that I read in old books, I would be someone that lived a really mediocre life. So... uh, Getting back to the revolutionary phenotype that we were talking about, um, whenever a revolution occurs, there's a new aristocracy, right?
0: Yep. And well, someone the, that benefits from the new system, at least.
1: hmm. hmm. And so it's whether it's this revolutionary phenotype or whether it's other things leading up to it. The new aristocracy is going to be an aristocracy of intelligence. And, and it's going to be an aristocracy of the people that have the most cognitive horsepower to bring to bear on constructing reality around them the way that they want. So I, uh, I became a really big fan of tantric sex because I was one of these no faber guys i was like a lot of people i had a (laughs) you you know about nofab yes yeah probably probably i bet a lot of your audience your male audience is nofabers because uh you find you're like a normal guy who watches porn a couple times a week and then you read a couple of articles on the internet that inspire you not to do that to keep your hands off your dick for a little while and you discover that your testosterone levels go up, and the reds seem more red, and the blue in the sky seems more blue, and the uh, skirts walking down the street just have this gravitational power that attracts you. And uh, you go and have a conversation with a pretty girl, and you feel your body just, you feel your genes coming alive inside of you, right? And so i was i was into this uh this this nofab stuff and uh, a lot of nofabbers are kind of like dogmatic about never touching their dicks they're like no i will not touch my dick only a woman will touch my dick <laughs> <laughs> and uh that's actually that's actually not quite optimal uh what i what i recommend to to men that are interested in this sort of thing. And again, not not everybody's interested in it. And that's okay. But I recommend that men do kind of uh what the what the Taoists describe as uh meditative masturbation, which which sounds weird, right?
0: Oh god. Um
1: what, what this is 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 you do various breathing exercises. You that you do this this deep, profound breathing where you uh You try to imagine yourself breathing into your balls, as uh, Elliot Hulse describes, and you do this slow breathing and uh, a meditation. And there's a couple of other uh, techniques and things that go along with this that I describe uh, in my book, and I describe various places on my YouTube channel.
0: And do
1: you,
0: do you uh, want me to keep going, or are we? No, getting I mean, uh, I think it's a, it's a different subject. So what I would do is I would recommend my audience to go uh, visit uh, your your YouTube channel to get more details about this. Uh, but it was really a great pleasure talking to you, and I'm going to move on to coverage of other stuff uh, in the show. So I'm going to release you now.
1: Yeah, real pleasure talking to you.
0: All right, Jonathan, it was great talking to you. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks, Jeff. Bye bye. <sighs> it was kind of creepy. I I feel raped. It's like he started talking about sex, and I I did not. I, I don't think that I've brought the subject of sex. It was uh, quite fascinating. He's kind of like the David Duke <coughs> of tantric sex. It's like, David Duke, you don't ask him about gym work and he's going to start imposing on you. He's going to be like, Jeff, let's talk about uh, your muscles. Here's what you need to eat. Is Here's what you need to lift. Do you even lift, bro? And you're like, no, I don't lift. I'm not interested in this shit. Okay, Jeff, sh- shut up for a moment. I want to talk to you about how we can work out your leg muscle because leg muscles are important. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I didn't ask for this. Um, but but he's a great guy. I really enjoyed talking with him. And I'm talking about David Duke. Why? Because in one hour from now, we will ask